Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 31st, 2019. The share IDs for Friday, March 29th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,719. That's 12719. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,721. That's 12721. This morning, A Vision for You presents Troubles of Our Own Making. Step three raises the issue of self-will and the extent to which it runs our lives. The big book says, on page 62, if you'd like to reference that, selfishness, self-centeredness, that, we think, is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate says the big book. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics, we compulsive overeaters, must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. The AA 12 and 12 reminds us that each of us has had his own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight to be willing to look for something better. What is that something better? The big book tells us this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. We could no longer insist on having our own way. We could no longer insist on trying to control other people. We could no longer insist on believing that we always know what's best for ourselves, the world, and everyone else. This notion of selfishness, wanting my way, even with good intentions, is at the heart of the big book's approach to the steps. After all, our problems were of our own making. Cellophane bags and bakery boxes were only a symbol. Joining us today to speak about troubles of their own making are three recovered compulsive overeaters. Our panelists include Julie E. B. from California, Kelly S., who resides in Oklahoma, and Kathy G. from Illinois. So let's get started right now with Julie E.B. Welcome to the line, Julie. Hi, this is Julie E.B., gratefully recovered in Colorado today. Um, It's become a little family joke. (laughs) How did they choose me for the selfishness paragraph? Is it something I said? I hope so. Um, I hope what I share on the line shows that I am a true compulsive over and under eater who moved from a seemingly hopeless state of body and mind. Wow, my mind, I mean, my body, I was face down in the food, full of the mental obsession, whether I was gaining or losing, 
close to a thousand pounds over my lifetime. And my mind, well, my mind was a life centered on the committee in my head, me, myself, and I. And hopefully I've started to move and show that I've started to move in my recovery to a life where I have, well, quiet food, neutrality around the food, free of my allergic foods, uh, ingredients, behaviors, increasingly willing as I went through these steps to let go of any barrier uh, that um, that would stop me. Most often a quiet mind, and if not a quiet mind, a place I can go back to, and more importantly, a quiet heart radiating from the inside out, away from that situation where life just seemed to happen to me and my nerves all seemed on the outside and life was just a rough going to a quiet heart that's joyous, happy, free, because I can begin to trust and trust and surrender to a power greater than me, to care for me. In steps two and three, I learn about the care of a higher power. What is care? The provision of everything I need for my health, welfare, and maintenance of my condition. Oh, yes, I thought that higher power was there and had that for everyone else, but for me, I was pretty new to vision. And uh, I had a vision sponsor. I met in an OA room and a kind person on the line put their number out for outreach. And boy, I was desperate. My life was just crazy. My head was always spinning. And so I reached out. I was having a situation at work and I didn't know what to do. And I was just winding up with my tale of woe. After all, my boss was an unpredictable egomaniac. My colleagues seemed to want to run whenever I speak to them. And I just couldn't get along. I was scared because I had left the job before that, my big job. I had left a little job uh, in kind of uncertainty and turmoil because work relationships kept disintegrating. As a people pleaser, so I thought, afraid of conflict and in a helping profession, I couldn't figure out why my life kept falling apart. I'd survived a difficult childhood by achieving and striving and perfectionism and and uh, and putting others, I thought, before myself. Compliance, I called it. And I had learned to smile at work and then stumble home to eat and fume and rerun conversations in my head, something the big book calls brainstorms. And I came to call in my list of character defects talk storms because they would only magnify when I do outreach calls uh, and just go on and on and on about these troubles. So um, a couple weeks in, out, out of the food and getting wound up to tell my story in this gentle voice, quotes this paragraph, well, when I was working, I discovered sometimes I stepped on the toes of my fellows and they retaliated. No accusation, just an experience, a sharing of experience, strength, and hope. Well, that silenced me and that was hard to do. Here's a preview of the four steps, looking at my resentments from an entirely different angle. Here is the reason that as I read this paragraph, I could circle four simple words, most of its instruction, most of its warning. As I read through the book, I would highlight these warnings, instructions, prayers, and here's this one promise in there. 
They arise out of ourselves. My troubles arise out of myself. myself. (laughs) And I wrote for the first time on the top of a page, if I am the problem, if I am a problem, there is a solution. A solution, not an endless recitation of my problems. I'd spent time in another 12-step program, and my higher power gently shown me. I mean, I came in there, I looked down inside, I was nothing but a black hole. I was nothing but the roles I was playing in my Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde life. I was uh, trying to be a worker and a mother and a wife, and, and my life was crumbling because I couldn't seem to pull the show off anymore, whether I tried to be still more gracious or more demanding. Then I began to look inside. I had enough of a self, finally, that, you know, although I was working this program, I misunderstood the action steps, especially four through seven. And I still believed, my core belief, my core self-delusion, everybody else and everything outside myself was my problem. This one person, these simple words changed that. I thought I was a selfless, giving victim. But as it turns out, as someone said one day when I was doing a 10th step, it's not that I'm a people pleaser. I was a person who sought ease and comfort for myself by trying to do what other people said they wanted and pretending to be someone I was not. It was the ultimate act of selfishness to pretend that I was this victim. My boss was challenging my coworkers too, but I had stepped on their toes every time I behaved like life was all about me. I had built a family life. I had determined in my childhood never to build a family life that revolved around me and my moods. From young ages, my kids would notice my disturbance had rub my hands together and start to get excited and they'd say, Mom, are you okay? And I'd tell them about all the problems that other people were causing me. Even my spouse would say that I was like Captain Kirk on the Starship Enterprise and I could look out. I had amazing ability to analyze everyone else and see the problems and what needed to be fixed, but I couldn't see that these arose out of myself (laughs) with the love of a higher power, with the love of a sponsor who read through word for word with me, listening, encouraging, supporting. I could turn my glasses. Instead of looking outward, I could look inward. I got fed on outreach calls and and on, um, on, uh, on just this process of seeing in other people, listening to vision uh, special editions practically around the clock just listening to voices of recovery trying to get this different angle and so i turned into step four because after all now i could look at the root of my trouble without shame just with the simple idea of taking inventory and getting rid of the things that had plagued me I had survived a difficult childhood after all, and I had survived that childhood 
by um, focusing uh, on perfectionism and pleasing other people and all these different aspects, achieving. But these became, as Bill said, the boomerang. And self-pity of my difficult life uh, became, as Bill said, the quicksand of my life. This was this different angle when I looked at what arose out of myself. I realized it wasn't this paragraph about what caused my resentments. That should be a simple matter in my 10 steps. Just a few words of what caused my resentment. The key was the last column in the columns I was doing. Where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and afraid? (laughs) I know I was the right person chosen for this of the entire big book, which is quite worn. And this is the page that has fallen out. I have sections, a couple sections that have fallen out, but this page is so often read, so often needed to reorient me towards the fact that I'm, if I'm the problem, there's a solution. What did I write in the margins? As my sponsor instructed me, I put me, me, me so many times in this section as I identified in. And next to selfishness is the root of my problems. I wrote, dig it out. How would I dig it out? In step four, with the care of a higher power, someone providing for the health, welfare, and maintenance of my condition, I could look at last. I could look at last. It had so many things in my column involved self that I didn't have enough space. I had to have abbreviations, S with a little C for self-centered, SD for self-delusional, SS for self-seeking, SP for self-pity, SR for (laughs) self-reliance. These were the root of my problems. And as I wrote out so many fears, I came to look at them from a different angle and see that as I had begun my spiritual awakening in the care and protection prayer, uh, all my fears came as I would do this brainstorm, thinking about the future, spinning it all the time, either the past or the, and, and what had happened to me or the future and what might happen. All my fears were rooted in looking to other people, places, things, or to myself to provide protection, care, direction, connection, a sense of security, self-esteem. And those were never enough. There was never enough on the outside. There was never enough on the inside to give me that. And so as promised in the book, at once I commenced, I began to outgrow fear. I could stay ahead of it to outgrow it. Not that fear isn't there, but I could outgrow it. I could even write down my harms in every relationship, face my creditors, a legal sheet of creditors, as I did what someone said one day on the line. I just wadded up my problems and my bills, just like I did fast food bags and threw them in the back seat. And the group, the 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 problems just grew and grew. I could finally see how I had hurt my family by having my problems, my disturbance be the center. Today in recovery, I'll come home and sometimes my kids won't even notice I'm there. 
Sometimes I'll just be in my room and they'll come find me when they need something. Sometimes I still go into selfishness and I can tell because everything's spinning around me again. Now at work, I don't just go and comply in all day. I can speak the truth non-urgently in God's time and then I'm not all full of built-up emotions coming home and acting controlling as if changing other people um, changes me. I shared this with a loving sponsor. I went home and asked if I was willing to let go. I took the sixth step. I considered that the God and the world and others were not always against me, that I could have a higher power, return to that higher power, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and that higher power, as I pray the seven-step prayer with my sponsor, could take all of me, good and bad. I could look at all of it without even cringing, simply practicing. With step seven, another miracle began. My higher power began to change me. Rooted in the promise of this paragraph that my troubles were of my own making, I could work step six, seven. I felt an urgency. (laughs) Step seven, I heard on a special edition about someone who had listed their character defects and their opposites. And as I listed my character defects and their opposites, I would, I would pray, and I don't mean to be controversial, but I would just pray, God, please remove this defect and teach me the opposite. And as I did that, I developed a language around my character defects and ideals around their opposite. And I had a growing awareness of my defects such that I was willing to go to any lengths in step eight and nine that they might be removed. I was willing to daily engage in steps 10, 11, and 12. I would pray, God, please remove my self-centeredness. Teach me to think of uh, the needs of others and work for them. Dear God, please stop me from being self-reliant. Teach me to be God-reliant, especially around fear. Stop me from self-delusion. Teach me to be honest. Stop me from self-pity. Teach me to be grateful. Stop me from self-seeking all those actions I do to get other people to make my life seem easier. And teach me altruism. Giving without expecting a return. Focusing on what I give instead of what I get. Stop me from being critical. Teach me to be gracious. Stop me from being raging. Teach me to be calm. Stop me to be hurtful. Teach me to be kind. Stop me from being controlling. Teach me to be surrendered. Stop me from being compliant. And teach me to request that I speak, request God's truth, that I could speak non-urgently in God's time. Stop me from being predictable and untrustworthy with my family and at work teach me to be predictable and trustworthy and this has changed my life this is still changing my life i still get into self (laughs) but i'll tell you this uh in closing (laughs) i prayed three times uh, once i lost that big job and was working some hourly and overnight and 
moved into a part-time job. Um, I had prayed three different times, three different openings, that I get the full-time position, not seeing that the troubles of my own making would make it impossible for my employer to, to, to want more of me. And uh, I figured out that God had this all under control, that my best ideas are nothing compared to whatever comes when I pray that most often repeated prayer in the big book, that God would do for me what I cannot do for myself. Every time I pray that, I'm admitting my selfishness. Every time I pray that, I'm opening the door to see life the way God sees life, my higher power, I choose to call God. My best idea would have been to get that full-time job. But this family, these children God had created and given me that I had broken and hurt so badly, well, God waited to give me that full-time job until I was recovered. My boss actually gave me the job stating that because I could see my defects, I had swallowed chunks of truth about myself, uh, that when she would talk to me, I would know what I needed to change and was willing to change it. Well, when I got that full-time job, it was at such a later date that my children could get these amazing scholarships. Yes, they worked hard, but these amazing, just this week, uh, my middle son, just an amazing scholarship, a new chance at life because my income had been limited and my life had been full of so many medical expenses and such challenge and difficulty. God did for me what I could not do for myself and provided a future for my kids. I could not imagine no matter how much time I spent brainstorming or talk storming my life. So I hope you'll pray with me that prayer today, that God, that your higher power would do for you what you cannot do for my, yourself. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, Julie E.B. Joining us today, our second panelist, Kelly S. from Oklahoma. Welcome, Kelly. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. So glad to be on the line um, and grateful that Leah asked me to speak. And I was cracking up when Julie shared about um, her family teasing her about being picked for this paragraph because in my self-centeredness, as we're talking about, I thought the same thing. I'm like, why'd she pick me on this paragraph? Of course, maybe maybe because I'm teasing somebody here in Oklahoma who said they didn't get asked because maybe Leah thought they were already recovered in this. And I thought, well... Um, that's my hope today is that Leah has heard that because um, this couldn't be a more perfect paragraph for this recovered compulsive overeater um, because it always, always, always comes down to my selfishness and self-centeredness. And it took me a long time to see that. Okay. So, um, you know, some of you have heard me on the line. I've been around these rooms for 30 something years. I have four years now of recovered abstinence for the first time ever by working this program, these steps as written in the big book. So, you know, I was one of those people that came in when I was 20 years old and it talks about it in the book. People tell their stories. Uh, the AA 12 and 12 talks about, you know, I came in here because I had no real problems except those caused by my excessive drinking or compulsive eating or my weight. 
um, that was it. You know, all of you guys had a lot of weird feeling problems and living problems, but when I came in, I was bulimic, binging, purging, 20 pounds overweight, had, and, um, and in the 20, 30 years that followed, ended up being 125 pounds overweight a couple different times. So, you know, I just had a food and a weight problem. But uh, I'd run out of, of, of options, so I just stuck around and kept coming back because I didn't know what else to do. But um, So, you know, I came here and I thought I, I had it all backwards. So I thought these 12 steps and this higher power thing was just to help me stop eating and lose weight and be a normal body weight. Well, that's not the focus, and I didn't get it until I started listening to Vision about six years ago and uh, and started really – examining and studying and working the big book and found out we're only putting down the food. We're only doing that. We're getting clean and sober from whatever we're doing so that we can work these steps and get a relationship with a higher power and be of service. And I had it completely backwards. And until I got that, then this process never worked for me. I can tell you that, you know, I, I lived my life for years in this program trying to be abstinent living in the bedevilments, being the guy that came out of the storm shelter saying, hey, Ma, look, isn't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. You know, I didn't understand that it was about um, being a changed person and being of service. And um, and it took me a long time because uh, one of the things that I have learned and am continuing to learn is I have been extremely blocked and I know that's not terminally unique. And so um, one of the best analogies that I love from a spiritual mentor that I listen to talks about, you know, that my process is like a dimmer switch. And it clicks up a little at a time as I work this. And, you know, I know we all have said more will be revealed, right? Well, that's the, kind of the thing is the, the dimmer switch clicks up a little bit more as I work this program. And so... I couldn't see what I couldn't see. I was in the dark, you know, so I got to quit beating myself up. I didn't know what I didn't know. Like I truly thought that's what this program is about, you know. So now now that I know, it's time to get busy and it was time to work. So it took me two years of listening to Vision to start doing it. So listening obsessively, which I did, didn't fix me, uh, didn't get me into recovered state. But um, so anyway, so what made it different? You know, I put the food down. I finally got desperate enough and to put the food down and realize, um, hey, maybe I do have a living problem, right? And so I went through this process, you know, and, and when Leah asked um, me to share, you know, she wanted to, uh, you know, base it basically on, you know, my personal experience of the process of steps four through seven and how this stuff revealed my flaws. And, you know, that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root. And I've um, <clears throat> talked about this, that for me, it's like um, those roots are like an old oak tree. So I had an oak tree at the last house I lived in um, uh, two years ago, and I lived there 17 years. And in that 17 years, um, the roots of that tree started tearing up our patio and started tearing up the foundation of our house. Well, we actually don't know, but the patio was splitting and cracking and the roots were coming out of the yard. And so as, as beautiful as that was, you know, that it was right by the house. So we knew it was going to start doing foundation damage. So, you know, I knew that we had to take that tree down. And I think about an old oak tree that's been there for years. You know, I'm, I'm 56 years old. Those roots go deep. And so, you know, this process, this journey is my destination. And 
that was what, something else I heard from my spiritual mentor, and I love it. And I just continue this process, and I get those roots out. But they're going to be deep, and it's going to take me a long time. Not just one application of root kill on it is going to do the job on this, right? So um, started working these steps, and I had – I mean, I know we have to all have guide, guidance and sponsors, but I needed somebody to help me get unblocked. My higher power helps me, and my higher power – speaks to me through this literature and through you guys and through my sponsor, um, you know, because I've, I've always had a struggle with the God thing. I believed in God, but figured God didn't believe in me. And so, you know, it's through this process that I'm finding that higher power. And so, you know, we, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, always like, well, okay, what is the difference here in this selfishness and, and self-centered? I don't get it. I don't get it. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I, I have read was that selfishness um, means, you know, that I'm lacking consideration for others. You know, I don't care about what's going on with anybody else. Um, that's being selfish. And the self-centered means I'm just preoccupied with myself. I'm not even really thinking about anybody else. I'm just thinking about myself. Selfishness, I don't care. And this is a little funny example that I was reading about in It's a Wonderful Life, which probably a lot of you have seen um, uh, the main character, Jimmy Stewart, I can't even think of his name, you know, he seems so selfless, which is what I always thought I was. And then when all that bad stuff starts happening, if you started the movie right then, when he comes home yelling at his wife and he's mad and he's lost his money and he's all upset, he's being very self-centered because right now all he cares about is himself. You know, he just, he's worried about himself. What's going to happen to him himself? And uh, Potter, the, the mean guy, you know, he doesn't give a crap about anybody. He's being very selfish. He doesn't care what happens to the town. He doesn't care about... He didn't care about George. He didn't care about anybody, just himself. And so that's, that was kind of a good example to me is, um, from that movie is self-centered is I'm just, it's all about me. And selfishness is um, I don't care what's happening to you. I just don't care about you. And so, you know, I spent my, I've had two careers, been blessed, and they're both um, about service, right? So, and then I'm a mother of three, and I've just always thought, oh, I'm just so selfless. My life is always about helping others. And uh, had to finally realize that most of that stuff is because it makes me comfortable, makes me feel good. I feel good when you feel good. And I remember a sponsor telling me years ago um, when I would uh, have problems with a, one of my son, my son, and she said, well, you know, because um, I wanted him to be happy. He was upset about something. Hell, I don't even know what it was. And she said, you know, you might want to look at the fact that, you know, you want him to be okay, so you're okay. And I thought, she's crazy. Uh, she doesn't have kids. She doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. Um, no, that's not true. And, of course, years later, um, now that I'm really working this program, I realize there's truth to that. Yes, I mean, we all want our kids to be happy. But at the same time, when my kids are okay, I'm okay. And that's what it comes down to is the ease and comfort again when everything's going my way, when all my ducks are in a little row, then everything's okay. And um so I think, you know, here in this paragraph, it talks about we must be rid of selfishness. We must or kills us. You know, we talk about how many must are in the program. Well, just that thing alone has two must in it. must be pretty important. I always thought everything was just suggested, you know. But, no, we must be rid of this selfishness, you know. And so I have to start looking at these underlying causes. And the other thing, you know, when I did the inventory process this time is it talks about we have to do the exact nature of these wrongs. So, 
I don't have to just sit and tell somebody everything is wrong. It's looking at these exact nature. Where is the common thread? You know, what is it that I'm always falling back into? And, you know, the selfishness and self-centeredness for me is when I'm doing, when I was doing my inventory is it all goes back to, if you go back on page 60 and 61, uh, talking about, you know, the actor. Every freaking time, I'm telling you guys this, every time, whether it was in this process or my tenth steps or my nightly review, it always comes down to people are not acting the way I think they should. And that's completely selfish and self-centered because why? It's all about me. And I want my job to go easy. I want my day to go easy. Every time I do my nightly review and I'm resentful at somebody, why? They didn't do the way I wanted them to do it. They didn't, you know, they didn't act the way I think they should. And why? I want my job to be easier that day, you know. And it's like whenever, whenever, when I went through my fourth and um, fourth and fifth step, you know, it always came down to, I mean, if you think about it, every single resentment that I've ever had was things didn't go my way. They didn't go the way that I planned it or thought things should, whether it's my alcoholic childhood, you know, um, any of that stuff. Um, none of that didn't go the way I think it should. And so I have to look at that. My sponsor would often say, where did you get the ball rolling? I'm like, ugh, you know, um, I'd really rather talk about that other person, you know, but that, guess what? That didn't get me well. And so I have to decide how free do I want to be? How free do I want to be? And so I have to make a decision. You know, do I work these steps? Do I look at that stuff? Because I'm going to tell you guys, it sucks to me because I want to be weller than that. You know, my ego is, in four years of recovered abstinence, I want to be weller than that. And I have 56 years of living a life of selfish and self-centeredness, and I have to start digging those stupid roots out. And I am not weller than that. I'm weller than I used to be, that's for sure, thank God. You know, but that uh, selfishness rears its ugly head all the time. And, you know, when we do this process, I think about, you know, um, Resentments are selfish and self-centered, but even like, okay, so when we do the fear part, you know, it's all rooted out of, um, you know, it's, it's that whole thing, losing what I, I have or not getting what I want. So that's what it really comes down to. Me, me, what about me? What if I lose this? What if I don't get what I want? You know, and, um, you know, the, the 12 and 12 talks about fear being a soul sickness and, and the big book talks about it, that evil corroding threat. I mean, really, all these things we do in this inventory process are all going to come down to that selfishness and self-centeredness, you know. And, um, and, in, and until I really see that, I can't change it. And it takes this process. So I have to work these steps, you know, daily to see that. And I have to have other people help me. And so what do I do? You know, it's like <clears throat> I keep the food down, first of all. You know, black and white abstinence, I have to do that. And then I get busy. And so... You know, I did this fourth through seventh step, and it's funny because when I did this and I started really looking at those common threads, that's really what it was all about. <clears throat> and uh, I uh, I did one recently, and uh, I was resentful at one of my daughters because she's always comparing. I feel like she's keeping score. I just wanted to share this. This is a very simple example of, you know, she was always – I'm resentful at her because she's always keeping score of the, I have three kids, of what I do for everybody else, you know, and like she's the middle child, and I've gone above and beyond, I feel like, to try to make her happy, right, and I'm resentful that she's still keeping score, she's 29 years old, and, 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 uh, 
she thinks I play favorites and especially with my son and she's always comparing everything we do to her siblings. And I just really resentful at that. And, um, and, uh, and I, and I bend over backwards. That's the true, my codependency. And so in that same inventory process, I've been, re- I have one on my brother. I resent my brother for taking advantage of my mother for, uh, you know, like, um, he, I have it here. She's taking advantage of her. He uses her money to spend on his own stuff. He lets her pay for a lot of the trips, you know, my parents. And then, you know, I have my mom in here. I uh, resent my mom for her codependency, for never measuring up. Um, I feel like I don't measure up to her. She always pays for everything. She doesn't set boundaries. Oh, my God, these are all the same things because I look at my daughter, which was the main one, and I'm thinking um, – I want my daughter to be comfortable, so I'm comfortable. And then nobody's following my script. None of these people. It's all the same underlying crap. And my realization, this is the hugest, hugest part for me in the inventory process, my realization. So I put this all down, right? It's all the same thing. My realization for my daughter, I've done the exact same thing. Uh, I am 56, and I compare myself to my brothers, always worried my parents are still doing doing more for them, you know, I've done it. my realization. Do I do this? Yes. My daughter has our disease, my disease, I have this disease. My brother does all this stuff, the realization, I did the exact same stuff. My mom's, my realization with my mother, I'm codependent as hell. I've been over backwards, hung myself on the cross for my kids. You know, um, what makes me think that any of this stuff, any of this stuff is about me? That's the thing, when I have resentments, I always think this is about me. And that's the thing, it's not. You know, what other people do is not about me, but that's my selfishness and self-centeredness. And so I think it's funny when it talks about, you know, in the third and seventh step prayer, I do those daily. I also start my morning every day before I roll out of bed with a set-aside prayer. Um, And I know I need to wrap up real quick, but I do the set-aside prayer because I get in my way every day. I get in my way every day. And so I start it with that. But the third and seventh step prayer are interesting to me because it took me a while to realize that um, in the third step prayer it says, take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life to help others. It's, it's not saying take away my difficulties so my life will be easier. It's so that I can show people this program works and the power of my higher power, right? So, and then in the seventh step prayer, um, which I also do every single day. Um, it says, uh, it says, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Again, wait, what? So he's only going to take away the stuff that's going to get out of the way to help you guys. I mean, obviously this program really knows what it's talking about. I got to get out of self. I got to get out of self. The reason I'm doing this whole thing, I have to remember this every single day because I forget is to be a service. It's not just to make my life comfortable. It's not so that everybody acts the way I want and go things go my way. I had to redefine my, my uh, thing. Of, I loved our talk on utopia. My idea of happiness, joy, and free is that I learned to weather these storms and I learned to get out of self and be of service. And, and how do I do that? I get unblocked by working these steps going to my higher power, and that big book says it's that deep reality within. So it's been there all along. I just have to get unblocked. I'm going to read this one last thing, and I'm going to close. I'm so sorry, but um, 
you know, it says we have to get out of our self-will. It's self-will run riot. And I love, love, love in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about is that is we don't get, have to completely get rid of it. We're learning to conform it with our higher power, page 40 in the 12 and 12. And it said it's when we try to make our will conform with God's that we begin to use it rightly. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. Now we get to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. So this is a partnership. God is not going to zap me. He's not going to do it to me. He's not going to do it for me. He is going to do it through me. If I work to keep the food down, work these steps, and continue on looking at the crap that makes me uncomfortable. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah, so much. Thank you, Kelly, uh, so much. All right. Now I welcome our third panelist, Kathy G. from Chicagoland. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for the invitation. And good morning, everyone. It's Kathy G. Grateful, recovered, and recovering continually, uh, compulsive overeater in Illinois. And thank you so much, Julie and Kelly. Wow, I, I feel like we're at church this morning. I'm over here. Amen, sister. Amen. I mean, I'm I'm so with you on everything you said um, and can relate to it. So, you know, for those who came on late, we're talking about self-centeredness today. We're on page uh, 62, focusing on the first full paragraph, selfishness, self-centeredness, and ending with we must get rid of it or it kills us. So I, too, kind of laughed when I thought, okay, I'm, I'm being called to talk about self-centeredness and, and isn't God fascinating? I, I, and, and pardon me for those um, in this program, we don't have to believe in God. I just refer to my higher power as God. So I'm just going to use um, the name that I call him just for simplicity. So I feel like I have been, uh, since I got onto the vision line in the spring of 17, I feel like it has really been like getting my PhD in dying to self. That's really what it comes down to for me. Because I recognize that even though I was free from bulimia for like 20-something years at that point, I just couldn't, I didn't have the tools uh, to stay stopped all of the time from some of the behaviors that I was turning to, to medicate my feelings rather than turning to God. And so this morning, I am in the midst of just as they do with the gold. When gold is refined, they start with a big rock out of the ground and it goes through crushing and fire and water and crushing and fire and water. But the gold will come forth. So that's what I'm hanging on to today because you have someone sharing with you who is, is with you. For those who are just recovering, you know, sometimes we hear people are recovered and think, oh, my gosh, Will I ever be like that? Or they're so elusive. They have everything together. Well, I'm here to tell you that I don't have everything together. I am so working on it. And if I didn't have God, I might be in the fetal position on my bed. I mean, I, I might. But instead, because I believe that God has an instead 
for every challenge that we face, um, for all of our self-centeredness, for all of our troubles that we're of our own making, he has an instead. So I'm going to talk a little bit about just how I've been stepping into his instead, because here I am today in the midst of this, and I'm filled with gratitude and hope, and I want to learn, and I want to grow, and I want more of him, because without him, I'm hopeless. I'm, I'm hopeless. So I thought if I were going to title uh, this talk today, after having looked at that uh, paragraph, I'd say, from expectations of myself and others to acceptance of myself and others and into action. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to kind of share with you what I walked through early this morning with God. And it's just linked to this par- um, to this uh, paragraph that we're focused on on 62. Said, God, I have to get rid of this self-centeredness or it will kill me. I am powerless over this self-centeredness. And if I allow this root to remain in my life, my life will become unmanageable. I believe that you can restore me to sanity, God, and that you are able to give me everything I need to move out of my self-centeredness and into your heart and into service for others. I make a decision yet again today to turn my life and my will over to your care as I understand you. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you see best. Free me from the bondage of myself that I may better do your will. Please take away my self-centeredness today so that I am able to show up for you and others. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may be a demonstration to those you would have me help with your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will always. I surrender my fear, my self-centeredness, my self-delusion, my self-seeking, my self-pity to you to the best of my ability today. And I thank you in advance for bringing forth your instead for each of these defects of character. Help me to view all of my relationships through your lens and not my own. Fill me with your love, your wisdom, and grace, and help me to be a clean, clear channel for all that you hold for me to release today. Please help me to remember that if I choose to use food to deal with my feelings instead of choosing you today, I will end up stuck in my head with terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. Please remind me that the four horsemen and I are no longer friends, and that's just fine with you, and that's just fine with me. And please give me the grace to reach out to another compulsive overeater when I am plagued with waves of self-pity and resentment. So I think in these few minutes uh, that I have to share, I am going to just focus on my marriage. Um, I'm, I'm just because 
it is really my challenge right now. Um, it's, it's interesting because in this um, like 20 plus months of abstinence that I have, God must have known that I needed to have this self-centeredness crushed because I perhaps not wisely entered into getting a new puppy, but it's turned out great. And we know that we have to die to self-centeredness when we have a new puppy <laughs> because they have a different plan. And then I had um, a daughter that I had to make a 911 call on, get into treatment and had to walk through that. And now, um, because I am fully present and I am in this recovery, the dynamic of my marriage of 20 years has changed immensely. And it has given my husband some room um, where he doesn't have to think about, you know, my moods and changes and taking care of me. So it gave him an opening to look at some of his deep wounds. And he is just, he's dealing with some stuff right now and some pain. And I am being called to to just die to myself and what I would like him to be doing and what I would, you know, like him to be doing with me and for me and about us and all of it. It just has to die right now because I have been given an opportunity to give him the same kind of love and patience and tolerance and kindness that he gave me. All those years that he walked through just the myriad of what I was doing this week with food or what I was eating or not eating. And here he is like a gourmet chef as a hobby and just always being willing to adapt whatever he was making to whatever my whim of the week was at that time. So, so I'm thanking God for this crushing that I'm going through today. It is not easy for me, especially because of the home that I came out of, um, because I have been through a divorce. Um, I've been gratefully married to Jeff for 20 years. Um, but in my first marriage, I was so self-centered and so in my illness that uh, I lost a marriage because of it, because I placed such expectations on this dear man and wasn't willing to accept him just as God made him. It's funny, I had a moment of grief over that yesterday. I've done so much work around it, but I had a therapist who, who once said that grief leaks. And I had a grief leak yesterday when I went into a Starbucks uh, with a friend and I looked up and I saw this Chemex coffee pot and, it, and all of a sudden I had a flashback because that's the coffee pot we used to use and somebody had given it to us as a wedding gift. And I just went back and I felt this wave of sadness come over me, over the self-centered person that I had been. Um, you know, I've had to do a lot of forgiveness work around this because I was wounded, he was wounded and, you know, God uses everything. But I'm grateful today in this marriage that I get a chance to be a grown-up that I get a chance to, you know, dare to actually give of myself and lay down my plans and agenda for this marriage with my precious Jeff today and, um, you know, try to see what can I do for you today? Wow. You know, what a concept. 
um, so grateful to be growing in that. And, you know, I had a picture while, while I was um, looking at, um, at this, this paragraph, and it said that our troubles are of our own making. And I thought, you know, when, when self is at the center, if we picture a garden, let's say we dug a hole and we just we planted ourselves. Then the plant that comes up, I saw, as if we could see the leaves reading these things, I saw terror, despair, bewilderment, and frustration, those four horsemen, right? But if I dig a hole and I put God in there as the root, not myself, what I get in the bloom are the promises from the big book, which I just wrote down a few of them, which I saw um, escaping disaster. I'll get clarity and sanity and neutrality around food. And I'll be thinking on a plane of inspiration and I'll get power and peace and self-respect, the respect of others, happiness. I'll have friends. I mean, this is our choice. You know, the choice is up to you. You can keep trying to do it your way. You can keep, you know, that root can just go deep. Like Julie said, deeper, deeper, deeper. It can start destroying the foundation of your home. You know, I lost a marriage over it. Um, I've lost a lot over it. Or we can pull that root by doing the fourth step, the fifth step, we can find out what are our defects of character. You know, look into the self-centeredness, like look into, like uncover the stones and the little shoots of weeds that are in that soil. And then we can put God in there. And, and we, can, we can dare to believe that there is a higher power who knows better than we do. And I'm here to tell you that even though this is a painful journey, I would not go back today if I could, because I'm 58 years old and I'm finally growing up. If you're younger and coming into this program, all I can say is God bless you. Take a hold of it and spare yourself years of slamming your head into the wall, you know, like the jaywalker, years of walking out into the street, into the oncoming traffic, because nothing's going to change until you do. And it's the one thing that we have some influence over. Um, you know, in getting this PhD of uh, death to self, uh, my, our 16-year-old also has been facing some medical challenges, and, and the past uh, year has just really been laced with that, too. And I've had to just die to self yet again. And um, I really believe that as we come to God and as we work these steps and um, ask him continually for the courage to, to move through them and keep saying the serenity prayer every day and reaching out to others, he is just going to keep showing up. And he has a way of convicting us without condemning us that is so powerful so um, my prayer for today would be that I will have the grace to just see my self-centeredness, that God would give me those eyes to see when I can turn and think of helping my daughter, blessing my husband, reaching out to those I hear on the line that are suffering and be awake enough you know, to take calls when they come in so that 
we can step into the promises uh, as outlined in this book. It is so worth it, worth it, worth it. So um, I have a lot of love for all of you um, on the line. Even if I haven't spoken uh, with you or don't know you in person, I'm so grateful that you're here because you helped me by seeking deeper into self-centeredness to move my own recovery forward today. So thank you so much for being here, and thanks again for the invitation, Leah. Thank you, Kathy G. Thank you to our three panelists, of course, Julie, Kelly, and Kathy, for pulling back the curtain a bit and sharing some of your uh, personal spiritual work with all of us on the line. And please don't be concerned. You're no more self-centered than the rest of us. So thank you very much. Uh, The contact information for our panelists will be given at the conclusion of the recording. So please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question answer segment. You can ask a question of our panelists by pressing star one to unmute. Please Give me your name, including the first letter of your last name, and please specify if there's a panelist you'd like to direct your question to. Lucy E. Lucy E. Anne-Marie M. Anne-Marie. This is Florence in Virginia. Florence. Elizabeth D. Elizabeth D. All right, let's start with that. Everybody mute except for Lucy E. And please, again, specify if there's a a specific panelist you'd like to ask a question of. Go ahead. Okay, thank you, Leah, so much. Uh, This is Lucy E. from Maryland. And the question, I believe it's truly the first speaker. Um, You mentioned something that caught my attention right away. You said something about selfishness. The self-centeredness had to do with urgency of time. And when you said that, I was thinking of myself in sense of, I need to do it now. This is the way it needs to be done today. This is at this moment. And that it was a selfish behavior. And I wonder if you could just focus in on this urgency uh, that you referenced. Yeah, thank you so much for your question. Um, Yeah, so I had a pattern of swinging um, from controlling, trying to run everything to compliance, pretending I was okay with everything. And uh, when I was, you know, setting up my prayers of asking God to release this kind of compliance where I'm just kind of pretending I'm okay with, say, what's going on at work or whatever, that the the opposite of that is speaking the truth non-urgently in God's time. And, you know, this is huge because until (laughs) my oldest birthday a couple weeks ago, I had three teenagers and, um, and the way that I was raised, everything was intense and everything was urgent. And it's just like this whole idea, like, Oh yeah, I got to get, um, I got to get out of the food. I got to get recovered. Like then I'm going to arrive. And what turns out instead is I I just uh, live each day smaller than each day. Actually, I have to kind of live each moment um, in, in the steps. And, um, and uh, when I put urgency 
on top of it, that's usually because I'm afraid. I have a fear that in the future um, I won't be able to rely on either myself or other people, places, things, that I'll get back in the food or something's going to happen. So urgency, um, I guess one other way I would put it is, um, you know, one mistake that um, I would make with putting down the food was just another diet. You know, I was just going to find the perfect food plan and the perfect abstinence list from someone else. And that was going to be putting down the food. Well, for my character defects, um, I strove to turn my self-will towards them and think that I was going to work them like a self-help program and I was going to make myself better. And that kind of urgency was a way that I terrorized myself. And if I have a higher power who's caring for me, things will unfold in time. I would love to know which college my middle son is going to pick. Um, (laughs) But that's unfolding. That's his process. And so, yeah, this false urgency usually comes from self-will. I hope that answered your question. Yes, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lucy E. Anne Marie M. Your turn with a question. Thank, mm-hmm. thank you, Leah. For your service and thank all the panelists. I um, this question's for all of you or um, anyone that can relate. Maybe I think I related to all of you. Um, I'm going to give you the question and then just a little synopsis. Um, how do you distinguish between self-centeredness, self? seeking behavior and um, self-care and, you know, taking care of yourself. Um, I have a 34-year-old adult uh, daughter that lives with me and is newly sober, just going to AA and full of anger and um, has bouts of anger towards me, uh, speaking uh disrespectfully um, to me. So, um, and with the help of my OA sponsor, um, I'm very grateful that she's very spiritual. And, you know, one of the things uh, she said is pretend that God is standing behind her with his arms on her shoulders. I also have an OA slash, I mean, an AA slash Al-Anon sponsor who asks me how much more am I going to enable her? So my question is, how you know, how do you figure out how to take care of yourself without being self-centered? And anyone could answer. I'd, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Who would like to respond? One or two? This is this is Kelly. I could um, share. On Go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's funny because I was just. I've talked to a couple of people recently how that's really difficult to know um, those boundaries of if I'm doing self-care or um, being selfish or, um, and really, <clears throat> I guess, you know, a lot of times I have to look at my motives and um, I mean, you know, I love the whole analogy of I have to put the oxygen mask on me first. So I have to take care of myself. Um, that's the bottom line. And of course, any kind of abusive behavior in my opinion is, is something I have to, um, watch out for that's you know saying I I set boundaries for that is different but you know my expectations on um, my children for instance of you know enabling them is because I have to look at my motives here it's like yes I want to help them I want to be there for them but am I wanting to help them 
so that, uh, you know, they'll be okay and I'll be okay. You know, it's like, you know, I know my mom's a recovering alcoholic and, and Al-Anon too, and she did everything she could have ever possibly do to fix me. And I'm promising you, if it would have worked, it would have, and it didn't. And I had to find my own path, and I watched my kids struggle. And, you know, I have to remember my and my selfishness and self-centeredness. I can't fix them. They have their own higher power and their own path, and I have to get out of the way. So what am I doing to help them? Am I trying to help them to ease their ease and comfort? Am I trying to cushion their their fall? Am I trying to make their life easier so that if they're okay, I'm okay? Or am I setting boundaries saying, you know, it's not okay to talk to me this way, it's not okay to treat me this way? You know, that's different. But, you know, it's kind of, again, it's looking at my motives of what I'm expecting from them. Is it selfish and self-centered? Um, or is it self-care? And it is difficult. And I think what you're already doing is huge. I have to talk with other people. It's a week program, and it sounds like you're doing that. But And I have to do that constantly um, because I don't know. Like I, I, you know, I joke, I either hang myself on the cross for somebody or I'm like, uh, sorry, uh, I got things to do. This is about me. I'm taking care of myself. You know, uh, I'm doing self-care. I'm setting limits. So, you know, I got to really find that balance. But again, you know, bouncing it off people and um, looking at my motives, you know, and um, so that's pretty much, I think it's a process. With that, I, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Kelly S., any other yeah. panelists like to jump in on that? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to comment too, Leah. It's Kathy mm-hmm. G, and Please I do. love what uh, what Kelly said, and I'm I agree totally. Um, it's a fine line between self care and and having healthy boundaries. I do a lot of work on boundaries. I've done a lot of work over the years, years and years of practice, and uh, just asking. When I look at the situation before I step in to doing anything, like taking that pause and asking God to just come into the moment. I mean, he's always with us, but I love to invite him into even specific moments when I feel like my mouth might go off too quickly. And I try to ask myself, am I trying to do something for them that they can, A, do for themselves, and B, that God could do for them. It's right back to the serenity prayer, you know, grant me the serenity um, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I pray for a lot of wisdom. I pray for that a lot. Um, Because like Kelly said, you know, we don't know all the time, but it says, you know, we're going to get plugged in more and more as we keep asking God into these um, daily situations. We're going to get plugged into that intuitive thought, as it says in the big book. And that gut feeling that we have a lot. Um, if I'm going to step into a, an enabling, it really does not feel right. It feels like I'm doing something for someone that I shouldn't if I get really honest about it. Um, but you know, like if my daughter, uh, needs me to take her to a doctor's appointment because she can't drive, clearly that's one thing, but if she needs me to just step out and let her process and give her space and, you know, um, do the part that she can to strengthen herself in her journey as she's going through stuff, then I have to let her. And I too agree, just keep reaching out, um, helping others and, and sometimes, you know, I check in with a counselor. Like if it's, if it's beyond what I, if I feel like I need even more, more help, I'll get it. I'll just get the help that I need. So, so thanks for the question. 
Thank you so much uh, for your responses, panelists, and thanks for the question, Anne-Marie M. Let's move on now to Florence. If you could include the first letter of your last name as well, please. Hi, this is Florence from Virginia. I'm so glad I got a question in um, uh, because I have to leave shortly to go to church, but I sort of feel like I've already been to church with these lovely ladies that presented and uh, the harmony that they they, they demonstrated. Um, I think it's interesting that the questioners are, are uh, I've been listening are they're sort of on the same theme as my question, which was um, uh, let me just preface this by saying I just agree with what's been said. I mean, early on in my 12-step experience, someone said, if you've got a problem with someone, you pray to bless her or him and change me. And um, uh, and actually, I got something right off the bat with, with these presenters because I have a new job, <laughs> and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm retired, but I have a new job, and, and I emailed something about that was interpreted that I uh, was criticizing someone. And that was not in my mind or heart, but I could see where I was a little insensitive or someone might have taken it as, uh, oh, you're putting yourself before the, the client. And I was I was getting prepared to give her the cold shoulder next time I saw her. I, I didn't know how to handle it. Now I've got this, got, it, got this solution. I, I just say that was certainly not my intention and, and let's move forward. And, and, you know, it's like, sort of diffused the situation. So so thank you, and thank you, God. Um, I guess the only question I have, and you guys have already addressed it in some ways, is um, is kind of the codependent aspect. It, it's like it's like where do you draw the line sometimes uh, with the altruism, you know, thinking always of others and having to say, you know, past this line I can't go. And, um, you know, uh, that, that's about it, and I, I just thank you for your shares. I, I want to say this is really what I'm getting already. Is this is an ongoing process, and it, it requires wisdom, and it's kind of like cleaning your kitchen. I mean, you don't do it once. You just have to kind of stay with it. Thank you, Florence. Thank you. Okay. In the interest of time, uh, would one panelist like to respond or add a little bit more regarding uh, that dynamic? Yeah, this is Julie E.B. Go ahead, um, Julie. I say I want to, you know, say that um, that um, as I shared, um, you know, learning to love myself and and uh, learning to see myself um, the way God saw me is a critical part of my um, recovery because I found that when I was I had no self, uh, just shame, just a ball of shame. I um, because I I had a higher power that was as harsh on me, you know, it's like getting out of the food, like, oh, you're so fat, you're so stupid, you know, all this self-loathing, oh, you got to do this perfectly. Um, when I had that, then um, I couldn't, it was very hard for me to get past this first step um, of, of just reveling in the best news of the day that I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable and moving to the second step that a power greater than me could restore me. Um, so um, I think um, it's really, uh, actually for me, it's it's not a dividing line anymore um, because, um, uh, let's see, uh, what would I say? Um, I need to focus on thinking of the needs of others and working for them. Um, most of the time I spent in self-care was cleaning up the chaos that had uh, ensued when I was trying to handle everything by myself 
or trying to not really please people but make my life easier by manipulating events or by rehashing events. So if I am with my higher power and um, going through this inventory and ask what's my part and how do I fix it, I'm not sinking into the shame. I have some guilt, uh, which is uh, functional, um, of something I did wrong, and then I address it like an inventory and I release it to my higher power and I look for ways uh, that I can be willing to let go and I I ask my higher power uh you know, to remove this, but, but um, instead of gripping, I, I'm releasing, and, and instead of perfecting, I'm just progressing, onward movement towards the goal, so when I get into, um, when I, uh, let me say, the one thing I wanted to add um, that I should have started with is I had to start on the outside of my relationships, you know, I use um, one of the groups uh, that's available for 10 step um, group and they've just been so gracious in service to me and outreach and 11 step train partner and so on and 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 I have to start honestly by doing outreach with a stranger and then I started to work a little bit on on addressing these defects with co-workers and then some with my family and children and kind of lastly in some ways with my uh, deepest relationship with my husband um, that God's still, you know, trying to free me from my selfishness. I got to practice with with the guy I see in the grocery store, and and do steps around those little things because I'm rarely able to look at it with the big things. And if I focus on what I give instead of on what I get, um, it it isn't codependent. Uh, it isn't uh, because I'm getting my needs met by my higher power, and then I go out and. Uh, serve my neighbor. So that's that's my experience. And um, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Thank you. Thanks, Julie E.B., for your comments. Thank you, Florence, for the question. Let's move on now to Elizabeth D. with her question. Thank you, Leah. Um, can I be heard? Yes, I hear you well. Okay. Um, Thank you for this special edition today, uh, panelists and Leah. Uh, it's an incredible service. Um, I I want to keep this short uh, because I could go on and on and tell you the background and um, take up too much time. I'm between jobs and um, a painful between jobs, laid off from one, now looking for another. And... Um, all that I heard, especially um, would love to hear from the first speaker, um, uh, Julie E.B., about how you used the 12 steps and especially 4 through 9 on um, as you were going through a, a pretty significant career change. I still, I didn't realize just how much anger I still have about what has happened to me uh, in the last uh, position, and I I realize how toxic that can be, and um, I really I, I I want to do it a different way. So I would be grateful, Julie E.B., if you could talk a little bit more detail about making a making a career transition using the Great. using the steps. Well stated, well stated. Go ahead, uh, Julie E.B., please. 
Yeah, well, I so appreciate that, and I hear the pain in your voice, and I couldn't drive by my old place of work um, without, you know, looking the other direction. Uh, I had thought I was supposed to be able to do it and do it perfectly, and then everything would go okay. Um, But it turns out, as it turns out, um, as it turns out, I was doing the best that I could. Um, but when I began to turn to these steps, I could release the resentment against other people by looking at my part. Where had I stepped on the toes of my fellows? And where was I the problem? Not because I'm a bad person, but because um, I, I have this, this, um, this pain uh, that I was always trying to meet um, by self-seeking. And there's a part of the book that says, don't other people just know. I couldn't wrest happiness and satisfaction out of my life with my own management. And, and didn't other people, didn't they, didn't they just know that I was truly in my heart self-seeking? And um, so um, I think that was a big part of it, that when I would quit playing God, so that's how I let go of the resentment. And it's so hilarious. I mean, why do we quit playing God? The big book says it's because it didn't work. I don't actually know all the time what's best for my life. I would never have told you that what I shared, uh, what, I, what I lost, um, you know, when I crawled out that door, 300 pounds, bed bound, screaming in pain, six medical specialists, unable to take any more um, problems that that would give me uh, what I needed, the desperation I needed to let go of that resentment and, and to say, I'm not God. I don't know, um, you know what those people are doing, but I know what I was doing. I was looking to them and to my work to fill that hole in my soul. And so I was, I was always afraid and always trying to say the right thing and, uh, and, and meanwhile, it was God who could fill the higher power, a loving higher power, who could say, it's okay. This career is not the main thing. I mean, I was all that in a bag of chips, up and rising and up and coming. And you would say, um, and, and God has just, all I can say is my higher power has step by step as I've been willing to turn these things over, um, has and I'd be you know happy to talk to you further, but God um, has continued uh, to restore uh, more of who I really truly am, and find me a place to use those gifts. For a while, it wasn't in a job situation; it was just helping other people. Um, how I could use those gifts as I was healing and uh, become a person who could be of genuine service. Uh, to others. Um, and so, and God loved me whether I was a success or a failure. The world did not. So that world, just like the food, um, that wor- world of work never loved me back. Uh, only my higher powers loved me back. Thanks for letting me share. And I pass. Thanks, Julie, for the response. Elizabeth D., thank you for the question. I'll let you guys know. Share ID for today's presentation, 12,724. That's 12724. We can take three more questions. Who has a question? Three more. Hi, Tara W. Tara W. Dorita P. Dorita P. 
Carenza B. Carenza B. C. Thank you. Go ahead, Tara W., I believe. Hi, this is Tara W. from New York. Um, really, thank you so much for, for everyone's service. Uh, my question is uh, around my food. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be rigorously honest about my food, and I, I'm wondering if I am in self-will um, around food or whether or not um, – I'm trying to think of how to phrase it, but basically, like, there's a part of me that believes that, like, I could have sugar in the ingredient, like, fifth or lower, and, um, you know, there are some people that say that you can't have sugar at all if sugar is a problem, and I don't know if I'm in self-will around, like, trying to still control my food or if it really does work for me. The question was posed to me, for example, like, I'm an alcoholic, if I can have NyQuil or if I can have a wine sauce if that works for me, and it, it does. I have had those things, and it doesn't trigger my, my alcohol addiction. So um, so I'm wondering, like, if – because I, I understand there's, like, a red, a yellow, a green list, and I'm trying to figure out what my alcoholic foods are and um, whether or not sugar in the fifth ingredient or lower thank you work for me. So, I thank think you. we get it. Thank you very much, okay. Tara, for the question. Uh, we'll have a panelist respond who would like to address this. And then, of course, Tara, we certainly encourage you to be in touch with others as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, Leah. I'll, I'll take a stab at that. It's Kathy G. Yes, please do. Uh, yeah, and thanks for the question. I, I still get that question. And it's it's not an easy thing. And I would first, I would, because it is an outside issue, so they speak people and their food plans, I would bring it, I would suggest first to bring it to a nutritionist or a medical person like who knows about your your food things, and I would probably discuss it with them. Uh, that being said, what I seek with my food and my abstinence is has been a very alive, breathing, living, evolving thing. And it has changed, and God points out to me things that have had to be taken off, things that I can have, and it's just always, it's been a moving thing. But the most important thing for me, there's a couple things with abstinence. One is, is that I don't do anything by myself. It is, if I have any hesitation or fear or concern about eating a certain food, I bring it into the light. And I bring it into the attention of one of the people that I touch base with about my food, if I have any concern. So I just reach out, make that phone call, and get into the we right away. Uh, And that being said, that's linked to when you eat this substance, do you you still have neutrality around food? Are you feeling peace in regard to that food? So I would just suggest, uh, those things follow your peace bring it into the light reach out to somebody else and uh, take it to uh, the nutritionist thank you thank you mm-hmm. very much Tara for the question and of course Kathy G okay Dorita P good morning your question please thank you thank you Leah okay I want to take myself off speaker uh, thank you uh, Leah for your service and my question is for uh, Julie E. B, um, you said, um, I, I don't mean to be controversial 
um, and you said uh, about praying to God to replace your defects with uh, with their opposites. I didn't know which part you was talking about being controversial about. And I'm asking because I'm having a problem with the God thing in another fellowship. So I was just wondering if that was it. And if so, then I'll call you uh, later. But I'm sorry. So what was the controversy? Which part? Well, this is Julie E.B. I I don't want to raise a controversy. It's just some people around the seventh step just feel like God just removes those defects, that that's just a process that happens as we work the rest. Some people feel that we, uh, in six and seven, we we have to we also pray or act in certain ways. I don't think praying is that controversial, but for me, I'm just saying that there's nothing in the book. This is what's controversial. There's nothing in the book that says, Julie, make a make a bookmark of your character defects and their opposites, and and pray through them. But for me, when I did that as a part of, of releasing them in six and seven um, and becoming familiar with them and, and building an ideal, you know, all things that are kind of in the big books, as I would pray through them, it would come to mind, oh, yeah, yesterday I was, I was gripping where it came to Luke on his, um, on his uh, college choice. Oh, yeah, I was meddling instead of serving when I was... Um, you know, talking to my oldest about um, an upcoming internship. Oh yes, I was um, I was uh, in in self centeredness instead of thinking of the needs of others and working for them. Uh, when I asked my husband if he would consider moving to another room so I could do the special edition at six thirty in the morning in my bed where. I- comfortable instead of moving myself and so I did move myself and he's sleeping uh, still and we'll listen to this recorded later but anyway um, so it's not a huge controversy it's just there's sort of discussion around how much action or prayer needs to be done around our defects and for me this bookmark helped me get something concrete to work 10 11 and 12 thanks for letting me share Thank you. Thanks, Dorita P., for the question. Our final question for this morning comes from Carenza P. Hi, this is Carenza B. Carenza B. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. And this is for anybody who would like to answer. Um, I have been noticing recently, well, after doing the fourth step and and we get to look at all these ways that we've been selfish and self-seeking and maybe hurt other people, it seems like since going through that and continuing to go through that, I I don't want to allow my I I only now see all of these traits in myself that I don't like, and it's almost like I can use the big book to like hit myself over the head and say, "Wow, look at all these ways you were selfish and hurtful to others," and now it's all been directed at me, which by nature is selfish. So I don't know if anybody felt like they kind of used the tools that are supposed to to make us help others to kind of beat themselves up and then stay stuck in this umbrella of I'm I'm horrible, I'm selfish, it hurts. I hope that makes sense. This is Kelly I'd like to share on that. Yes, go right ahead, Kelly. (laughs) Um, 
I so relate to that, and and I kind of touched on that a little bit um, when I was sharing because I can still do that. Um, I can beat myself up because look how screwed up I am. Look how selfish. Look at all the people I've hurt. Um, and even on my uh, you know spot check inventory, the nightly review when I see things, and I'm just like, oh my god, I cannot believe I'm not any better than this. What the hell? I mean, I'm so selfish. And um, but you know, somebody I can't remember one of the people on this panel uh, shared that you know it's when I see that I'm the problem, then I can actually have a solution now because I can't control anybody else. You know, I can't do anything about anybody else's behavior. All I can do is something about myself with my higher power in these steps. And so when I, um, you know, uncover this stuff and discover, you know, we hear that and we can recover. And um, I, the reason I have to call people all the time about this is I need daily reminders that I cannot rise above my humanness. And, you know, that's what this dis-ease is all about. All these addictions that we've ever done is that we're all selfish and self-centered. I am no terminally unique. The big book talks about this over and over. So what makes me think I'm any worse than anybody else than Bill W., then you look at all these stories of the things that they did. I'm not any worse. So now today I have a solution if I choose to do it. That's the thing. And when I talk about the dimmer switch, I always love to share with um, people is, so you have this really dirty house, and you turn a dimmer switch on, and all you see is part of the living room. So you clean that part, and that's all you can see, so you clean it. And then the dimmer switch, so then you're like, the dimmer switch comes up as we work our program. And then you see the other part of the living room, so you clean that. And as it goes up and up, and up you see, oh, there's a corner that's full of cobwebs. You're like, what the crap? How much more cleaning am I going to have to do? But you couldn't see it. I couldn't see this stuff. So, yeah, I'm starting to see it. So it's not that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so screwed up. It's been there. But as as I am recovering and working this program, my higher power thinks, okay, she can handle looking at those cobwebs, even though I hate spiders, in the corner. And so, you know, I do that daily. I cannot tell you daily. If I if I have a resentment come up or if I if I get mad or I have to owe an event, I'm always having to have my sponsor say you can't. Because I'm like, I can't believe I got into this again. The big book says when it crop, crops up. Bill tells us, you know, that these things are going to happen, these um, trials and tribulations. So this is what we've done. This is how we, this is what drove us to eat, drink, use whatever. And so now I have a solution and I'm the problem. I can be part of the solution with this process and I totally relate. So just hang on (laughs) because you're not terminally unique. I'll pass with that. Thank you, Karenza B., for the question. Thanks to our panelists this morning, Julie E. B., Kelly S., Kathy G. Thanks for giving so much of yourselves this morning to all of us. Again, the share ID for this presentation, 12,724. That's 12724. We will now close from page 164. You'll notice that it's in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick.
The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.